You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. As the end of 2015 rapidly approaches, now just 16 days away, we're continuing to take a look back at the year in news. We're going to be talking about topics that range from the year following Detroit's bankruptcy to the 2016 presidential race, and of course, the Syrian refugee issue. Uh, And you can join the conversation by calling 313-577-1019. What did you learn? What did you see that caught your eye here in 2015? And what do you expect from 2016? Joining me today in studio to talk about that are two reporters who stand at the nexus of the news here in Southeast Michigan. Ali Harb is a reporter with the Arab American News, and Keith Owens is the editor of the Michigan Chronicle. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Sure. Uh, Ali, I want to start. I want to start with you, uh, and I want to start with. Something the governor uh, wrote, uh, Governor Rick Snyder wrote in the Detroit Free Press on Sunday, uh, trying to draw a, a, a bright line between his Republican Party, his views, and Donald Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. Last week, of course, uh, the Free Press had a front page editorial that uh, decried uh, Donald Trump's attack on what we called uh, the heart of this community here in Southeast Michigan. The editorial also talked about uh, Donald Trump's comments in context, right? That, that, uh, that Republicans like Rick Snyder had uh, played with this kind of uh, bigoted fire for a long time and shouldn't necessarily be surprised that that Trump was now bringing it all out into into the open. Yesterday on Detroit Today, I had the governor on, and he reiterated this idea that he's not responsible for what Donald Trump's doing, nor are uh, most Republicans who don't agree with him. Uh, but I'm curious uh, about how uh, the Arab American community, uh, the various Arab American communities here in Southeast Michigan, obviously we shouldn't just boil it down to one. There are lots of different uh, places and constituencies. I'm wondering how this is playing there. Uh, are, are people listening to what the governor is saying? Are they feeling uh, as if the governor is on their side or not? Uh, what, what, what's the reaction? Well, you know, since the beginning of his tenure, uh, Governor Snyder has distinguished himself from other Republicans as he's not an ideologue. One tough nerd. He's all about business. <laughs> That's right. It's all about the data. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's, he doesn't care uh, about ideological issues that conservative Republicans care about abortion, gay marriage, immigration. Uh, not only that, he has dubbed himself as a welcoming governor. Uh, at the grand opening of Bangalatown in Hamtramck, he said, I quote, I think I'm the most pro-immigration governor in the nation. Uh, he's come to Arab American community events, events that I covered, and he said, we want to keep Michigan open. We want talent to come here. We want immigrants to to be here. Not only that, uh, when a refugee crisis started this year, he said he would open the doors of the state. But after the Paris terrorist attacks, when he said he's going to pause the refugee resettlement until the vetting process is reviewed, uh-huh. that surprised a lot of people in the community. We did, you know, Folks did not expect that from him, given his previous rhetoric of we want to keep Michigan open and welcoming, especially we want to bring immigrants to repopulate Detroit. So uh, that surprised a lot of people and people could not explain it because 
all along he came to access and said I'm welcoming government there right. he came to the Arab American Chaldean Council reiterated the same message a week one week before he spoke about pausing the refugee resettlement he said he's the most pro-immigration governor in the nation um, so right now he is trying to explain his situation that you know he's talking about the safety aspect not about being xenophobic or anti-immigrant but the problem is um, when he linked refugees to terrorism right. inadvertently he he is jumping on bad, that bandwagon of fear so it's an interesting dynamics a lot of people in the community fault him all the way i mean i've heard prominent activists even accuse him of xenophobia and islamophobia and some people try to excuse what he's saying well you know people are scared and you know he's trying to calm down or answer those fears but generally i would say that after his move on pausing the refugee resettlement there's a lot of disappointment and yeah. i use the word disappointment versus any other word because there were high expectations and those expectations were not fulfilled yeah uh, one of the things that i think is really interesting about this issue in particular and talking about syria uh and what he said was uh, we needed to paw press pause on the influx of syrian refugees into this country uh, we have a fairly uh, robust Syrian community here in southeast Michigan. And it's a community that is highly educated in general, professional. And a lot of them support Republican policies because of the tax issues uh, and and other sort of economic issues that, that, that they find themselves more at home in that party. I hear them now sort of saying, well, hold on a second. <laughs> this guy is now saying uh, we're not we're not as welcome here. Well, the Syrian community in the United States is a very successful community. We're talking about a lot of doctors, a lot of engineers. Yeah. Even some of the refugees who have resettled here ha are very highly skilled. Uh, if you ask me about my personal opinion, I think what the governor did uh -huh. is that he took a national memo for Republican governors and put it on the website. <laughs> and sent it Be out. Because, because you had 31 governors put I'll out a it. very similar memo. Yeah. And I think this is playing into the presidential elections and national Republican pro platform. And now he's in damage control because a lot of his allies, including, including not Republican uh, grassroots organizations that do not identify with the Republican policy or Republican who had, party, uh, who had who had high hopes, who were, you know, saying we like Governor Snyder. Right. We, you know, I've I've heard that several times he's he we, we he's the only Republican we like, and now he's in damage <laughs> control, saying we still want Michigan to be a welcoming state, but there's still these security concerns. But hey, the Paris attacks, refugees were not involved in the Paris attacks. That's right. That passport that they found has fake. has not been linked. It's fake or fabricated. So it's it's a bewildering situation with what the governor is thinking uh, because what he was saying a week before that completely contradicts what he what he's saying now. Yeah. And he's sort of going back and forth. He wants to be reassured of the vetting process. But the vetting process has been in place for years, and every expert out there will tell you, every immigration expert will tell you, if somebody wants to do harm to this country, they will not come on a 
refugee they're not going to apply for a visa that's right. yeah they're not well you know they may apply for an easier kind of visa right right they won't apply for a visa but if they want to apply for a visa they won't go for the refugee for visa the because that, it's the, the the most lengthy vigorous complicated process you can go through they do like fingerprints yeah. multiple times, multiple interviews. It's not like you just show up and yeah. say, let hey, me Hey, I'm in. a refugee. Right. Well, in Europe, they have this problem where b- because of the land border, a lot of people are showing up, but we have the entire Atlantic Ocean yeah. Makes separating little, us from the Middle East. more difficult. So, yeah. so you need that visa, and to get that visa, you have to go through... 18, at least 18 months of questioning. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Ali Harb of the Arab American News and Keith Owens, the editor of the Michigan Chronicle. We're wrapping up uh, the year in news. We're talking right now about the Syrian refugee issue and Governor Snyder's role in it. Keith, uh, the the free press editorial last week linked what the governor was saying and what Donald Trump is saying to a larger Republican issue, uh, this sort of coy winking that goes on in the party about bigotry, about racism, about this idea of otherness uh, that, that dates back 40, 50, 60 years to when the party welcomed in Southerners who were disillusioned with the Democratic Party's embrace of, of civil rights. Uh, how does this... Uh, if you're Governor Snyder now, how do you play this in a way that that maintains the things that Ali uh, was talking about here uh, about being able to appeal to non-Republican, non-traditional Republican uh, constituencies? How do you back out of where he is? Well, I think if he's finding himself in a real dilemma, and I think if you oh, this may be predating somebody, but you may remember the program. Back in the 60s, produced by Mike Wallace when they're talking about the Nation of Islam, talking about the hate that hate produced. Right. And I think that now we're seeing this, the flip side of that. And I think that's exactly what they have been courting, um, the, the evil that they've been courting for whatever reason. Um, the inmates have taken over the asylum. And so now they don't quite know exactly how to handle that or what to do with that. And I think that uh, Governor Snyder is obviously not the only one trying to back away and trying to recalculate exactly how do we handle a Donald Trump and what do we do and what have we done and how do we extricate ourselves from this situation. I think that the problem with what when he says that, for example, he tries to distance himself from Donald Trump with the refugee crisis in terms of when he pressed pause, um, understandably, why I can see why he would want to distance himself from that. However, it is similar as the Freebus editorial pointed out, because that pretty much is what, when he says let's press pause, that's almost verbatim <laughs> what Donald Trump said, is let's press pause. And, and Donald Trump also tried to make it sound very reasonable, you know, except that, you know, this is, you know, I, don't, I have no problem with the Middle Eastern people, with the Arab people, with the Muslims, so, but let's just kind of make sense until we sort this all out. Let's just put a hold on this for a while. Well, that's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and so I think you can't, you really just walk. This is a fence you can't really just walk, and and not come out. You have to you know make a stand on what you're going to do about this, and otherwise you're going to look just like the people you're trying not to look like. Yeah. What what does this look like in the rest of the the presidential contest on the Republican side? Uh, there's a there's another Republican debate tonight. The first since Donald Trump said what he said, uh, he still is doing very well in polls. Although I, I understand he's slipped into second. 
uh, or third in Iowa, yeah, uh, where he was where he was uh, leading Cruz for a long time. Now Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. uh, some people would say Donald Trump light, uh, but but certainly a different kind of mm-hmm. candidate is now in the lead there. What, how does this all how does this all play out? I mean, I I have been I have been of, of the mind that we are watching. Uh, at at minimum, a serious transformation of the Republican Party play out in this presidential contest, and it's going to go. This has nothing to do with 2016. This is about the party, and it's going to linger beyond that. And that we may be watching the dissolution of uh, the the modern party. Uh, this this alliance between uh, fiscal. Uh, and social conservatives and a more virulent strain of, well, let's just call it out, racist uh, who who sit at the base of the party. Yeah, I think that what's I think you're exactly right in terms of what's happening with the party. And I've said for a while that the for lack of a better term, the moderates in the Republican Party and conservative party, um, at some point they need to decide if they want to take back their party. You know, and I think that either that, because at this point, is getting out from under them. And I think that what you know, it, it's, it's been coming for a while. And I think those voices have been making noises for a long while. And I think they they were dissatisfied when Romney was the nominee because that was not what they wanted. They were dissatisfied when George Bush was elected because that's not what they wanted. And now they have made their voices extreme, and they've been from the grassroots, from ground in, uh, in representatives in Congress. They have put people in that more closely represent exactly what they mean. And now they are standing up and be- being much more adamant that we don't want the moderate part. And Trump, once again, exemplifies that no compromise. And I think that at this point, what like what you say, this goes way beyond the 2016 election. This comes about, is the party going to stand for the traditional conservatism of the Republican Party and, and all the principles that, it, that has come to represent over the years? Or is it going to be turned over to the much more alarmist uh, group, a sector? That where the the facts don't necessarily matter, but I mean, but they appeal to all the fears right. of all people, and and that's exactly what's going on now. Everything that every um, that uh, that that certain portions of the, of America are extremely afraid of, um, but and and have no time apparently to research. Uh, they are they are appealing to them, and and it goes back to you know if everything that from from immigration to what that represents to uh, a black president. And what that represents sure. uh, to you know to just uh, to, to no longer being a Christian nation, although it never was, <laughs> um, you know, and what that possibly represents uh, that that feeds into all the fear and also what they see not happening for them, and so that and so that is becoming the the party th- that's what they want for their party. And I, I I have thought uh, for a while that that the election of an African American president accelerated it did this division on it on did. the right because there are significant parts of the party that have literally literally just been unable to get past uh, the the opposition to the president which which is largely based on 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 race and not policy uh, there's of course other parts of the party that are like well you know this is this is who's been elected we got to at least govern uh, it, it is at a it is at a critical point though uh, where i don't i don't know how you survive as that party going forward with this with this coalition intact. Yeah, the the frightening part of it is, is I think that before um, that when you had Romney and I'm you know my political leanings are known I'm not you know I'm not conservative <laughs> but um, but there were other there were other alternatives 
within the nominees, you know, because, you know, you had a Romney and then you had those who were more extreme. The, the folks who are at the top now, you mentioned, you know, Cruz being Trump light. He's not Trump light. He's Trump on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, you know, um, he sort of couches he, what he, Trump he, is right, saying, saying in uh, electoral uh, legitimacy. Uh, I mean, this is a U.S. Right. senator uh, and a more sophisticated, sophisticated way. Right. He is not a, for people say he's, he is not a stupid man, you no. know, and he and he and exactly. And he's, he's elected. So he knows how to say it. But he's saying many of the same things and he knows how to get those things through you know, and so when you're talking about that you know ben, of course ben carson is in dissent now but for a long time ben carson held the way trump did but the folks who were holding the line are all along these extremist fringes and there are virtually no <laughs> you know the, uh, george um not sorry but bush um but the you know bush number three yeah you know who um, was expected to be and the standard bear i mean he's just faded into traction right can't get any traction yeah yeah, uh, yeah go ahead Alan. and in the arab american news uh we wrote in a staff editorial this week that the uh, republican party is moving from physical conservatism to xenophobia and donald trump is now leading them to straight up fascism right and what it is they're trying to appeal in this in the primaries the candidates are trying to appeal to the most reactionary anxious segment of american society those folks who believe this country is theirs and because we have a black president because we have immigrants because uh you know the christian uh what they call the judeo-christian ethics do not rule this nation anymore they never have the constitution does they feel anxious they feel scared and candidates like trump are trying to appeal to that fear and like keith said you look at the entire pool it's not like we have trump and alternative trump the, the second is ted cruz uh we have ben carson I mean, Marco Rubio seems like a somewhat reasonable, less extreme option, but you know he's not getting a lot of. I, I think the, the the trouble on the side has been uh, all all fall has been uh, this this inability of the uh, sort of elected establishment of the GOP to sort of take control at the top of, of, of the polls. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. When we, when, when we come back, I want to continue this conversation. We're going to talk about Detroit, uh, what you guys are seeing in the city a year after bankruptcy. Uh, and let's get the phones going, 313-577-1019. What do you think about the year 2015? What do you expect for 2016? Stay with us on Detroit Today. Five minutes past the hour, and you're listening to twenty. You were listening to Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Thanks for being here. My guests are Ali Harb, who is a reporter with the Arab American News, and Keith Owens, who's the editor of the Michigan Chronicle. We are talking about the year in review, 2015, and the year ahead, 2016. What do we expect? Do you want to join the conversation? What do you expect for Detroit in 2016? What do you expect for Michigan? Uh, for politics in the state of Michigan. What do you expect for politics on the national level in 2016? 313-577-1019, 313-577-1019. Uh, I want to uh, switch the, the subject of conversation to the city of Detroit. 
One year ago, the city emerged from the largest municipal bankruptcy in history. Uh, people are starting to look around and take stock of what has changed, what has not, what, uh, what we expect to get better, uh, and, and whether it has. Give me your sense. Uh, you are two, two journalists who spend a lot of time out in various communities here uh, in the city. Give me a sense of, of what you are hearing from people when they talk about, uh, when they talk about the, the city and where it's headed. Uh, I'll start with you, Keith Owens. Oh, well, I think I've heard what I've heard has been somewhat, uh, somewhat mixed. I think from there are those who point to um, the obvious, you know, the benefits. Whether you're looking at what's happening with Midtown or Downtown, or even in the neighborhoods with the lights, you know, many more lighting and other things, uh, more police officers, other things that are happening that more than likely would not have happened without the bankruptcy. Um, the debt, the debt had to be wiped out some sort of way. But then also we see and was actually, you know, seeing we had the forum here at Wayne State, which, you know, was reported on as well, that whereas obviously there's still some a large amount of dissatisfaction about what was happening. And I think the dissatisfaction is uh, for a number of reasons, but I think the two primary reasons, uh, one was uh, the emergency management situation and the fact that there's still the feeling that, this is the thing that the people of the of the state, but even even more so in Detroit, voted against, and they felt that Governor Snyder kind of pulled a trick on them, and, and that, that that we should not have had an emergency manager, um, and some doubt that the bankruptcy was needed. I'm not one of those. I think that was inevitable. But um, but as far as the bankrupt, but as far as the emergency manager, they're very upset, and they feel that also they're threatened in in the neighborhoods, and they feel that there is some there's a, an attempt to push out. The, the long term, the people who have been here, the people who have been uh, surviving in Detroit throughout the hard times to make way for those who are on uh, coming here. And that many of the programs that are available for um, revival of the neighborhoods and of small businesses are targeted more towards those who were already successful and not to help those who need more of a hand. And, uh, and, and particularly and so you're talking about the lower middle class and also the extremely poor. Of course, Detroit is still almost almost 40 percent under the poverty level. So that's an extreme situation. So yeah. the conversation is still what do, what do, what has bankruptcy done and what is it going to do uh, for them? We, we've saved the DIA, but now what about the neighborhoods and the people and how do we um, help them to keep maintain their homes and to continue to live in a in a at least semi comfortable way in jobs, so I think. Well, that's and and mm-hmm. dealing with uh, poverty is something that that uh, that's a I mean that's a fifty sixty year issue here in the city of Detroit. It, it of course has gotten much much worse right. uh, as as middle class Detroiters have left uh, in droves. First, uh, white middle class Detroiters left, and in the last tw- fifteen years in particular. African American uh, middle class uh, Detroiters have decided uh, that they that, that they can't stay. Uh, the schools aren't good enough. They don't feel safe. Uh, they 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 have gone to suburbs or or even further away where they might find those things. Uh, uh, Ali Harb, uh, what, do you hear the same kinds of uh, concerns from well, I, uh, people? I would, I would reiterate everything that Keith has said. There's a lot of improvement, but also there's a lot of frustration. Services are improving. There is more policing, more trash and bulk pickup, uh, more lighting. Uh, the, the downtown, midtown are booming, particularly every time I come back to midtown, I, see, I notice the changes. I'm always state graduates. Corner, right? yeah. yeah, the restaurants, the, the retail stores. But some people in the neighborhoods feel like they're being left out from the survival. 
So what needs to be done is to make sure that everybody's included, inclusiveness. Another thing, uh, despite the increased polu- policing and decreased police response time, there's still a lot of safety concerns. Carjackings weekly. I mean, the police chief, you know, this statement, this news headline, I think, is a major one from 2015. The police chief said he doesn't feel safe to fill up gas at night in the city. This is the police chief. He, he's supposed to be in charge of our security. So there's a lot of security concerns, a lot of safety concerns in the city. Uh, a federal judge was shot. So those safety concerns play into the fears of the people in the neighborhoods. Right. They don't feel safe. The, the unemployment is through the roof and the population is not growing. If you need a viable city, the size of Detroit, you can't have a have a major viable city with 700,000 people, fewer than 700,000 people. Right. So we need to make sure that more people are moving in, but we need to make sure that the existing residents are not being left out, that they're being included in this conversation. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of frustration. People people are scared that they're going to be replaced. Or left behind. Or left behind. Yeah. Uh, Keith Owens, uh, you had a, an article in October um, in in the Michigan Chronicle that, that I think captures this narrative in a, in a slightly different way. Uh, you were writing about the, the homecoming that, that mm. Crane's Detroit business has organized the last two years. Uh, and and no disrespect to Crane's or, or the people who come back, it's really an interesting and, and dynamic event to see people who were from here and have been wildly successful other places come back and talk about what the what they see as the problems here and and perhaps uh, start to get involved uh, in in turning it around you, you talked about how uh, African Americans need their own homecoming here in Detroit <laughs> and and you know I think that uh, uh, that gets to the, the, that gets to a different dynamic here in in the city, which is that uh, the success of of the African American community and being able to move up more generally has not visited on Detroit because those people have left. Right, and I think that, and this gets beyond. We you know we, before we were talking about uh, the feeling of the of the poor segment and the folks with less money. This get taps into those who are far from that. And who are still feeling not included. And I think that's very significant. Okay, so we're seeing it's not, we can't say it's not just financial and class based because there were comments from many, from African American businesses and, and those who are here, right. I've heard, who feel like, you know, we're. They not, feel left out. Yeah, they feel left out and they're, and they're here and they're trying to be included. And I feel that. Uh, the re- the reason why when I when I wrote that article, what I was saying was with conversations with some business owners was that um, once again, no disrespect to Cranes, I think they did a great thing, but there and I think Cranes recognized needs to be more inclusiveness. Them, they've said that, but um, but that this need when the narrative goes out for creating a new Detroit and open and bringing back business owners and, and new ideas about how to uh, improve Detroit. I mean, when you looked at the at the handout or the manual and what was done since last year, many of the things that were improved, much of that was focused on downtown and midtown. Almost everything that said what has happened since last year, almost you know, none of it was what you know what has been done in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood, yeah, and so, sure. so I was like, so that means almost everybody that we're bringing was being brought back. This was the focus, and when you hear about the folks who are given the most the platform to talk about the new Detroit. The new Detroit, that mouthpiece, I shouldn't say mouthpiece, but spokespeople, I mean, very rarely, you know, um, almost always white. 
You know, you don't, and, you and don't they're from you hear from the African American community, and that's and that's disturbing. Yeah, uh, uh, let's go to the phones uh, here and get uh, some of the listeners involved in the conversation. Ron in Westland, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, hi, how you doing? I just wanted to make a comment. Uh-huh. Um, I think whatever is going to happen in Detroit is going to depend greatly on how innovative our new Wayne County treasurer is going to be. Number one. Okay. And another well, comment. Uh, we need to really get away from this hyphenated Americanism. Well, give me an. Uh, let's go back to your first point. I'm, I guess I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what you're what you're getting at there. Talk about the relationship between what happens in Detroit and what you see as the Wayne County Treasurer's uh, challenges. Well, the tax base. We've got to come up with something that's equitable to current property owners and equitable to people that are moving into and investing in the properties that are below grade. Um, people move in, they, they work in these properties, and then they can't afford to keep the taxes up. And they really shouldn't be as high as they are on degraded property anyway. Okay. Uh, no, I, so he's going to have to deal with that yeah. in, in, in some form. Okay. Uh, and your second point was about uh, hyphenated Americanism. Explain, exactly. explain what it's you mean there. Exactly. idea that <laughs> we need to bring back. There's too many, too many divisions. We need to concentrate on being Americans first. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I, I appreciate that thought, and I appreciate uh, your call, uh, Ron. Um, uh, let's go to uh, Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Yeah. You know, great article in the Chronicle, by the way. And you know what? I, I wrote a letter in response to it, and I sent it to the Chronicle. But anyway, uh, as far as, like, say, a year after bankruptcy, uh, you know what? I'm a, the eternal optimist. I don't see the glass as half empty. I see it as half full. And, I mean, if you look at the way things are going, the city has come out of darkness into the light. The vast majority of the city is now illuminated with new lighting okay but i'll say this also that and no disrespect to mayor duggan you know they started that project before he came into office but anyway and then you know we've got and i'm I'm saying in terms of outside of downtown and midtown where there's a burgeoning of you know development going on there are some things that that have happened in the neighborhood, you got the opening of the two Myers, one up here in Wilburton, eight mile, and the one at Grand River, six mile. Okay. Also, there's a um, you know just recent announcement in the last couple of months of the Live Six project, and also the Herman Kiefer project uh, down at the old Herman Kiefer Hospital, where they're going to you know go from like uh, with Herman Kiefer from the lodge, I believe it's over to Rosa Parks, and from Claremont South back down to may as well say the Boulevard in terms of developing. And Live Six is going to go from Livernois on the east, Wyoming on the west, uh, Puritan on the south, and up to Six Mile, where they're going to, you know, do some development yeah. over there and yeah. that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, uh, again, thank you very much uh, for that call, Tom. I mean, it's not as if there's nothing happening in neighborhoods. It's that there are a lot of people who live in neighborhoods that are still unaffected. I think uh, that 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 is the dynamic, right? And I th- and also because there's it, so it's, it, they've been in this devastated condition for so long, and there is so much to be and done. Nothing has happened. And nothing has them. happened, and right. you get to a, to a state where you're almost numb. Okay, because nothing ever happens, and then suddenly the ground starts rumbling and something starts to happen. And and it's you're in, and you're you're in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction because nothing works, and I think that that's where the frustration comes from, 
And for people who don't live in these neighborhoods or under these conditions, it's very hard to understand what it's like to survive in that, in that condition. And, 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 and they say, well, why are they complaining? Look at all these wonderful things happening. Well, if you had to, you know, <laughs> go through, you know, where you have no water or you're, things like that, I mean, you, right. you, you I mean, tend to be kind of frustrated. About really desperate uh, right. situations. Uh, Ali Harbour, I'm going to let you have the last, uh, the last word here. I would like to answer to Ron's comment about hyphenated Americanism. Yeah. Hyphenated <laughs> Americanism is a product of socioeconomic and political situations. Sure. I want to be an American, period. But when I see folks like, the Republican candidates pointing the fingers at Muslims and Arabs, I automatically become an Arab American. You're being identified as, as exactly. somehow different. S- same thing with some of the folks who, f- who feel left behind Detroit. You know, when they feel like they're not being included, they're disadvantaged. And we're talking about centuries, centuries of socioeconomic, political yeah. disadvantages. Black people, uh, Arab Americans, we did not uh, invent or embrace otherism, it was forced, exactly. it was exactly. forced on us. Uh, exactly. and, and of course, no one ever says anything about uh, Irish Americans having their <laughs> annual parade, and that's wonderful, or Polish Americans having uh, festivals and, and things like that. Uh, th- that is part of America too, right? We are all from someplace else. Right. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with recognizing that. Uh, we're, gonna have to, we're gonna have to end it there. Uh, Ali Harb uh, Air, with the Arab American News, Keith Owens with the Michigan Chronicle, thank you for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Stay Thank you. with us. We'll be right back.